Welcome to Caregiver Chats. I'm Dr. Lakeland. Today, we're talking about the various care options for aging adults. So stay tuned and we'll get into it. Caregiver Chats is a podcast designed to help those caring for older adults find balance, support, resources, and encouragement. If you're caring for an aging family member or friend, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Dr. Lakeland. I'm a gerontologist and caregiving advocate for Home Instead, an honor company. I know how busy caregivers are, and I'm so grateful that you're taking time to listen. I also want to hear from you. Please email me your caregiving questions, and I plan to answer them on future episodes. My email is caregiverchats at homeinsteadinc.com. That's homeinsteadinc.com. Last episode, I talked with dementia expert and my good friend, David Troxel about tips for hands-on dementia care. If you missed it, you'll want to be sure to go back and listen. Today, I'm excited to talk about care options and the important considerations for planning ahead for care. We plan for so many aspects of our life. My husband and I are expecting our firstborn child soon, and thankfully for a newborn, we have nine months, or about that many months, uh, to prepare, research, and get everything ready. However, if you're caring for an aging loved one, you never know when a crisis might occur. You might become a caregiver overnight and might not have the adequate amount of time to plan ahead. So the sooner you can talk with your aging loved ones about their wishes and the types of care that they want or that they're open to receiving, the better. And there are a lot of care options that are out there. So I'm very excited to talk more about this today with my guest, Nicole Will. Nicole is the creator, host, and producer of the Will Gather podcast. She is committed to educating and raising awareness about leaders and initiatives in the care economy, which makes her the perfect guest for today's topic. Welcome, Nicole. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you, Lakeland. I've been looking forward to this day, and thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk with you. The pleasure is all mine. I've also been looking forward to it. You and I have had some great conversations over this past year. And so uh, when I was thinking about this topic, I was like, oh, Nicole has worked uh, in various aspects of the senior care continuum. So she would be such a great guest. So excited to kind of dive into the topic. Yeah, thank you. Me too. Me too. Let's go. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, We know that there really are more care options today than there ever has been before. I think back to my great grandma and when she needed care, there was really only two options. It was like move her in with family or Mm -hmm. move her to a nursing home. My family chose, you know, the family caregiving route. Um, But thankfully, families have more options now, but they can sometimes be overwhelming or people might not know about these options or don't think about planning ahead for them. And then they're in that crisis mode and they're having to make these decisions that are really important decisions. So Nicole, I would love to get your perspective. You know, why is it important for families to look into this care and start planning sooner rather than later? Having been in both situations of caring for my grandma who lived with us, and then also working in senior living, 
we know how unknown aging is and we don't know what it will look like. We each have our own experience and story in care. And so while we'll speak probably more in general terms, we know just how unique each each situation is and planning ahead, you know, in all of the 130 some episodes I've done, almost every guest I've interviewed has spoken to the importance of planning ahead in some capacity. You know, I had one guest say, you know, we plan for having a baby, right? There's all these books, Mm -hmm. what to expect when we're expecting. We plan ahead for our wedding, you know, sending our children to school, college. So why aren't we planning ahead for aging and, and what our older years will look like? And one thing is for certain in this world is that we are all growing older every day. So we know that eventually we'll need to adapt and add that support system. One of the main uh, things I love to speak to is that if we can anticipate what some of our needs are, we will make those best decisions possible for ourselves and our loved ones and not under duress. So decisions made in crisis feel extremely overwhelming and maybe not our first choice and sometimes out of our control. And when we have a plan, it can reduce that stress, emotional burden. And essentially, we've, you know, put these um, you know, support systems in place so that we'll have time to research or ask questions or find the appropriate resources uh, and have that peace of mind. So it gives us that sense of control when a lot is really unknown during uh, that that phase of life. You know, it sets us up for being prepared, whether it's financially, having legal documents in place, uh, time to save money, time to set those meetings up if we need that. Uh, We can look at where do we really want to live? What do we want that to look like? Mm -hmm. And it gives us time for communication and conversation with our loved ones um, in natural ways, right? Uh, We're not like, we need to do this right now. Um, And we're able to understand what their wishes are over time, how they view quality of life, what medical decisions are important to them. Uh, You had shared an article by CNN that I loved (laughs) that was talking about, you know, why to have this conversation to reduce heartache later. And some of the highlights of that is that, you know, when we look at uh, conversations with our family members, most people avoid it because Mm -hmm. it is scary to talk about it. And they're focused on that. Let's just take it a day at a time rather than really looking at the future. And some of those statistics were, you know, I think it was like 29% of Americans had completed a will, only three, 33% had designated a healthcare power of attorney. So we know, given those stats, that unfortunately, a lot of us aren't putting things in place to set us up for success. So if we can do that, we will be so much better off uh, for the future, right? And, and understand what our loved ones' priorities are. 
Absolutely. Gosh, and there's so many elements to planning. And so it can kind of seem overwhelming when you talk about, okay, your care options, and then you have to have all your legal documents put in place, and you have to have conversations about your medical wishes. And it can be very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. But you don't have to have all these conversations at one time. Right. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you're planning ahead, you can kind of sprinkle these conversations out over time and let them fold maybe a little more, unfold a little more naturally yeah. as opposed to, okay, there's been a crisis, we have to make these decisions now. And as you mentioned, in those situations, we might not be making the best decisions. It might be more stressful. And then a lot of caregivers that I've talked to, there's a lot of regret after that because they're like, oh, I wish we would have talked about this sooner. I don't know if we were able to make the best decisions or we had to go with the care community that had an opening instead of, you know, researching all the options. So, um, you know, it can it, it can be so overwhelming. But again, if we can get people planning ahead, thinking ahead, um, having those conversations early, then hopefully we can reduce some of that stress and burden down the road. But yeah, those statistics that you shared, and we'll make sure to link to that article in the show notes, but um, it is, it's kind of surprising that people have not taken the time to plan. And I think another important thing to consider is it's not necessarily a one and done conversation. You know, as a person ages their their needs will change maybe they have a new diagnosis or maybe their partner or spouse passes away uh, and then that changes the plan uh, because you know you probably were planning for that couple together and now there's just one of them so it's it's an evolving plan and it's evergreen uh, one that you want to you know revisit uh, over time yeah. I agree. It's so true. There's so many different things that can come up, right? That just like you mentioned, that changes the plan. So we have to be willing to adapt. Yes. (laughs) Changes needed. Yeah. Most certainly. Well, and when we think about just if we, you know, everything might be kind of overwhelming if we covered everything in today's podcast from (laughs) the the legal stuff to, uh, you know, the housing. So today, I think I would love to just hone in on on the various types of care. uh, Because uh, if we can start with those conversations and get that, you know, little chunk of the plan, Mm -hmm. um, you know, underway and and discussion started, then then that's a a really good first step. So when we think about the various types of of care that exist, um, there's really a continuum of care Mm -hmm. that starts with kind of that aging in place and then takes someone all the way through to that highest level of care, nursing home, skilled level of care, and then that end of life hospice. So Nicole, I thought it could be helpful for our listeners, for you and I to kind of just talk through that broad care continuum um, and just share our insights and and what we've learned and what we've seen caregivers go through through these various, you know, portions of the care continuum. Sounds great. So first we have kind of that aging in place. Uh, And we know many people want to age in place. Um, You know, you rarely hear somebody say, yes, move me to a nursing home or move me to a facility. And that's where, you know, a lot of people have memories. They maybe raised their children. They know their neighbors. They, um, there maybe their churches nearby, their favorite grocery store, their pharmacy. And so they would love to stay there if possible. But we know that a lot of homes in America aren't set up for aging in place necessarily. Um, and so there are some things that families need to consider uh, in modifying the home in order to do that. And I think what a lot of families also don't realize is that 
family is often the first to kind of step up and support an older adult in their aging in place journey. And then, um, you know, when it kind of gets overwhelming, then they might start looking into services. But Nicole, I know you uh, and your family cared for your grandma. Uh, would you mind sharing a little bit about, uh, you know, that experience and, and what you went through um, in helping her age in place? Yeah, you're right. And homes are where we feel comfortable, right? So if we're wanting to cling on to what's comfortable and known to us, uh, my grandma moved into our family home when I was 15. And our family actually needed to move houses to accommodate grandma moving in. So that was a big change. We supported her mostly socially. When she first moved in, she was fairly independent. She was still driving. Then as her health declined, we were her primary caregivers. And my mom really stepped into that role as we needed to help with driving and taking to doctor's appointments and making food and caring for her after surgery. And like we talked about before, health changes. Um, my grandma had a fall and we realized that and needed to support her uh, best that she needed more care and needed to move into a community because she was not able to continually physically um, care for herself. And we knew that it wasn't safe. So that was such a hard decision, but mm -hmm. it really gave us a picture as a family of the journey that aging takes your loved one on, right? From being independent to needing to make decisions about care, uh, figuring out what's best, and then knowing that families uh, have the power and the agency to step in with their loved one and hopefully do that together and do what's best for the family, but also what's best uh, for the loved one. So that's what my family uh, journey looked like. And it gave me such a great picture of what the reality of that really looks like. Yeah. Well, and uh, I think it's so interesting how um, your family kind of moved to move her in. And so sometimes when we think of aging in place, it might not be that the older adult stays in their their own home, but maybe they move in with family. We're seeing that more often. My grandma lives with my aunt and cousins. Uh, so it sounds like a very kind of similar situation to what your family went through. And um, they kind of have a room off the back of the house that's just grandmas. And, um, and so families, are, they do find ways to um, accommodate that caregiving role. And it might be that they move the person in or they might uh, you know, go to their loved one's house on a regular basis. And, and sometimes though, you know, with family caregivers, they're stretched thin. They have all these competing demands. They might be raising their own children. Like your family's case, you know, you were still um, living at home and your mom had you and then also grandma. Um, and then also a lot of family caregivers work. And so they often start to look into services that can help their loved ones stay at home, like home care, which is what we provide at home instead. And that can help families with a lot of those things um, that family caregivers um, are doing or maybe want extra support in doing, um, whether it's things around the home, like meals and light housekeeping. Maybe it's taking over that transportation uh, that you know can be very time consuming for family caregivers. And and then it might also be that hands-on kind of bathing and personal care that might be a little uncomfortable for a family member to do for their loved ones. So um, 
the home care can be a really nice kind of supplement um, to uh, kind of be like an adopted family member, if you will, to help take care of of the older person. Um, And then sometimes there's also some more health care needs in the home that maybe a home health company would come in and help with. So if there's like a wound that needs dressing changes, or maybe there's physical therapy or occupational therapy, that might be needed as well. And and sometimes it can be confusing for family caregivers to distinguish the difference between home care and home health. But we have a, a guide that Home Instead produced that we'll link to in the show notes that can help families kind of understand, okay, what are these services in the home and how can they help me? What are great um questions to ask, things that we should consider, how do you pay for it, those types of things. So we'll make sure to link to that guide in the show notes. Um, and and then, you know, so we, th- we think about aging in place, and that's kind of, I don't know if I want to say step one of the care continuum, but that's where a lot of people start, wouldn't you say, Nicole? I think so. Yes, absolutely. Yep. That is, yeah. I would say, most families' goal as they really want to try to age in place, yes. which planning ahead helps kind of help you discover if that's feasible and what to put in place in the home. Like you said, modifications, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think um, it's important also, like you said, you know, that's family's number one goal because that's often the number one goal of their loved one. But none of us have a crystal ball. We can't predict the future. So I always caution caregivers from making any sort of promise to their loved one of, yes, no matter what, I will keep you at home. Because sometimes things change. There are health issues that happen and they can't keep that promise anymore. And then the caregiver themselves feel they feel so devastated. And so while we, of course, want to honor our loved one's wishes to the best of our ability, we can't, it's important not to overpromise because you don't want to underdeliver. Does that make, oh does that make sense, yeah, Nicole? Completely. And I've seen that play out. I've seen family members be in such duress because they've made that promise mm-hmm. <laughs> and they have to go back on that promise. And so I think you're right. Not, not speaking to things that we might not be able to deliver. Yeah. Well, and it can be helpful too, to have okay, plan A, Best case scenario, we're going to keep you at home. But let's also talk about plan B and C, just in case we have to go to those options. Um, And then it's not a surprise or maybe, again, it helps to decrease the stress or the duress uh, of those conversations. So um, just, I think, again, important for for caregivers to keep in mind yeah. uh, as as they go through these planning discussions. But then there's also a couple other types of programming that can help people stay at home, but the programs aren't necessarily in the home. And that would be uh, like senior centers and adult day programs. And I don't know if family caregivers really um understand the value of those types of programs. So, you know, senior centers, a lot of times we find those associated with our local area agencies on aging. And a lot of times they have meal programs and activities, and some of them even have kind of healthcare components, exercise classes. So it can be a great way for older adults to get out and socialize throughout the day. And then for those that maybe have a little bit higher level of care need, um, there's adult day centers. And a lot of them you know, really focus on Alzheimer's care, dementia care, and they have a lot of those same things, activities and meals. Some of them can also help with that personal care that that individual might need. Um, But 
again, these can be great resources. So Nicole, I don't know if, if you have any experience with either of these types of um, services, but I know that families have found them to be really helpful um, for their loved one to be able to go there during the day, um, maybe while they're at work or so that they can get a little bit of respite. Uh, you're so right. These are such great support systems that I wish more people, you know, knew about and took advantage of because they are the perfect uh, supplement and help, whether it's for respite care, which a lot of family caregivers really need and desire, but it's places that are typically really vibrant. So your loved one can socialize, continue to do what they love, um, whether it's uh, visiting with friends or going on outings in the community. Uh, specifically, senior centers are also very cost effective for a lot of people. They're usually subsidized. And so if you're looking for more of a low cost way to be engaged and have socialization, that's such a great option. I love adult day care programs. Uh, one of my favorite people who has such a passion and a mission for adult day is Chris Channa with Active Age. So he's an excellent resource for anyone that wants to learn more. But this is an environment where there is structured activity typically. They are able to have, like you said, support system with um, meals and sometimes therapy or hair care services or personal care or possibly even help with bathing if that's an option. And you know it's a safe environment. And I think the main focus is that there is this community of people that are trained to really engage and provide that meaningful uh, recreation with your loved one. And it is a wonderful option for family caregivers that are probably working full time. They need a break in their day. Uh, a lot of them offer free trials. Um, they are structured for people with also memory loss and dementia. So they, that is another uh, safe option for your loved one to be a part of. So that is such a great way to have your loved one be in environments where you know they're safe and that people that care about them and can bring out the best and the joy in their day. Yes. I know there's so many wonderful adult day programs. Those do kind of vary by community, though. Mm -hmm. So you ha might have to do a little bit of research to see, you know, if your community has an adult day program and, you know, what are the hours and those kinds of things. And um, they they do provide so many wonderful benefits. And, and what's so interesting about as we talk about this care continuum, a lot of families kind of puzzle piece these options together to kind of create a whole support system. I remember one of the clients I worked with back in the day, uh, we picked him up from the adult day center and brought him home and got him situated until his wife could come home from work. Uh, and so, you know, it was the family caregiving. We were there as home yeah. care. And then also he utilized the adult day program. And so, um, a lot, again, a lot of families can kind of try to figure out what's the best combination of these care and support resources that are going to be most effective for their unique situation. Because as you mentioned earlier on, Nicole, everyone's situation is so different. And so sometimes people, you know, they want me to tell them, okay, the exact moment I should move my loved one into a care community or the exact okay. moment that home care is going to be needed. And it's so hard to 
be that prescriptive because every situation is so different. And so I always have to, you know, start with that caveat and then ask a lot more questions. And that's one of, I think, the great things about planning ahead is you can really assess, okay, what are the current needs? What do we think the future needs are? And again, helps people make the best decisions possible for them. Um, and, And we know that, you know, as we talked about, aging in place or aging at home, Uh, It might be great for a certain period of time, but it does get to a point for uh, a number of people where it is time to make that transition to a senior living community. And there are a lot of different types of communities now. Like we talked about, like back 20, 30 years ago, nursing homes were the primary senior living community. And we used to call them facilities, Mm -hmm. which is just not a great term at all. And so I love that we call them care communities because it's really a community of folks living together. And Nicole, you come from that world. You have a background in senior living. So I'd love if you would maybe give us an overview of what are all the types of senior living that exists uh, so that families can better understand those options. Yes, I know. I was a director in senior living for many years and saw just how powerful uh, that care can be and the options that are provided. There are so many different options, which you just spoke to. We have the 55 plus senior living communities. Those are really designed for active adults, typically 55 and older, that want to be in an environment that's really active with peers their age. They've got a ton going on. They're really focused on those social events, that community aspect. A lot of times they have aspects or they have access to, whether it's like a golf course or a rec center or arts and crafts or whatever the case may be. And typically there's not care services offered by that community. Although I will say we are seeing more adult, uh, active adult communities that are offering with healthcare partners some care services. So know that that is something that um, is available. And of course, utilizing um, home care like home instead if people do want to remain in the home that they're in and in that environment. I recently had the opportunity to visit what I think people would say is the ultimate active adult community called the Villages in Florida. Oh, yes, yes, I've heard of it. <laughs> yes, yes, and it really is the epitome of what we'd think of. Um, it is vibrant. There are uh, square center, you know, city squares where there is live music. There are community centers that are offering, you know, I think there was like 3,000 different clubs or events, um, golf (laughs) courses, pools. (laughs) Really, it is quite remarkable. But that really is how those communities are designed for those active adults. Uh, We have independent living communities. Those are also designed for older adults, 55 and older Same idea, they want to be in a community with their peers. There are typically in those settings, those recreation programs that are provided and activities. They have community events. Uh, Some of these independent living communities do feel a little bit like a resort and they have amenities like pools and clubhouses. Uh, Transportation is usually provided, but there's typically 
not as many care services offered. So in an independent living community, like it speaks to, residents are fully independent unless on their own they want to contract some of those services available. A lot of times we do see that there are meals provided and some of that restaurant style. So you've got options to have housekeeping or some of those amenities that can aid in in your independence. We have assisted living, which I think more people are maybe a little bit more familiar with. And this is an environment where they require a little bit more assistance with some of those daily needs, maybe not that intensive uh, medical care, but assisted living has typically a vibrant recreation program. You've got your meals provided for you. Again, that housekeeping, transportation, there are outings involved. There is a place where you can gather with your uh, peers and loved ones and participate in all of those um, community events. With assisted living though, there is assistance with a lot of those daily care needs. So bathing, dressing, help with medication management, and medical services are available. The assisted living where I worked, we had a full-time RN that oversaw our home care aides that took care of our assisted living residents. And so that medical oversight I know was very valuable for not only the residents, but for the families. They had that extra layer of uh, support within the community. They are also able to help with transition if that's needed to possibly a memory care or that next. I would say in these environments, there's typically a rental agreement. So when we're looking at 55 plus independent living, assisted living, those are typically private pay and there is a rental agreement like any other apartment, let's say that you would rent. The difference with assisted living is that there is your rental contract, but there's also a care contract. And so that care contract uh, negotiates and gives you an understanding of the different care that's provided and what your loved one needs are. So we did a podcast with Jill Sauber, who's an attorney, understanding these different contracts and what to be aware of. So know that that is something that you have to look at as a family member. You know, what is the rental agreement that I'm signing? What is the care that I'm agreeing to? And what's all included in that? We have memory care, which these communities really cater to our loved ones that have memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's, other cognitive impairments, and they are typically in uh, an environment with an assisted living. Um, Sometimes they are standalone on their own and can be more of in a smaller setting or in that larger continuum of care, which we're going to talk about. But this is really focused on how do we enhance and have structure specifically for those that have memory and cognitive decline. And 
the environments are secure so it can keep our loved ones safe. But it really is understanding and having training on knowing what those brain changes are. How do we educate our uh, family members in relating to our loved ones? And how can we set up these environments most successful so that they really thrive um, in their in their memory loss? And having these unique needs, right? There's a lot around safety and different things to put in place. So sometimes those environments are structured differently to support uh, those living with memory loss. And again, with like assisted living, there is that care support with all of those uh, daily needs such as bathing and dressing and medication and nursing oversight as well. Um, There are typically a lot of special activity programs that go along with that as well that engage more in those shorter increments of time because we know that focus isn't as longer term um, as an active adult. So yeah, lots of options. <laughs> there are so many. So many and, as you, and and that's why it can be a little overwhelming for families. They're like, what right. What should we consider? Right. Um, and making a move, it's, it's significant, especially yeah. if somebody has lived in their home for many years and they have to kind of um, you know, transition into maybe a smaller mm-hmm. um, living scenario. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, families often, they don't want to take a move you know, lightly, they want to be very thoughtful about the move. And so planning ahead can really help and you can go and tour these communities. I always encourage families to do that. Um, And sometimes I also caution caregivers, what's important to you or what you Mm -hmm. think is important to you Mm -hmm. might not be as important to your loved ones. So Mm -hmm. the caregiver might go in thinking, oh, this place looks kind of dated. Um, It's not, you know, doesn't have contemporary (laughs) furniture or something, but their loved one might be thinking, oh, this reminds me of the house I grew up in, or look at the the residents and how happy they look. So you kind of have to address your expectations versus your loved one's expectations. Have you kind of experienced that, Nicole, in the the time you worked in senior living? Yes, I have. And I think that if we don't know what all the options are, we don't know maybe what to look for or what we'd even want. One of my favorite options really is those life plan communities or the continuum of care, because a lot of times it's a great option for people that want to remain in one location and not make multiple moves, right? And we know that health could change. So you're able to stay within the system of that you know and the people that you're familiar with. It's also such a great option for couples, right, that have different Mm -hmm. needs. So let's say one spouse might need memory care and the other spouse really wants to be near them and so they can have like an independent living apartment. Um, It is having all of those options from independent living to assisted living to memory care, maybe a rehab unit right after surgery if you're needing um, more therapy. So that is one of my favorite options. I think that if we can get a good understanding of what are our needs and how do we plan ahead and what our options are, then we can kind of discover where is a good fit for us. Yeah, And I know there's more options we can talk about, too. (laughs) Yes. Well, and 
And I'm glad you mentioned those life plan communities. They, I think they used to be called CCRCs, Continuing Care yeah. Retirement Communities. The terminology in our industry kind of oh shifts gosh, and changes. Changing, yeah. Yes. But yes, there, there are some communities or campuses more rather that have mm-hmm. the, these various types of uh, levels of care all within one campus. And so mm-hmm. that can be another great thing to look into. And um, there's so many, you know, questions that you want to ask when you go to these communities. And we can have a whole nother conversation, oh gosh, Nicole, about that. Uh, <laughs> but I think what's probably at least um, when, when I'm talking with caregivers is understanding what is provided at that mm-hmm. level of care mm-hmm. and what would be, re- what change in the health condition or um, what needs uh, would, um, would warrant the next level of care. Just so that right. families are very aware of when that transition might need to occur um, right. so that they're not surprised and that they yeah. have all that information. And as you mentioned, you know, and especially in, you know, that 55 plus and that independent living, we find in home care that we're in a lot of those communities yeah. trying to help folks stay there maybe for a few extra months or even an extra year before they have to transition to that next level of care. So again, it's that kind of patchwork or right. puzzle piecing together of these types of care. Um, but again, senior living um, is, is a great option. And we're seeing so many, at least in my community, I, I feel like every, every uh, time I drive down uh, a street I haven't been on in a while, there's a new kind of senior living community. So we're seeing a lot of them come about, which is, is great to give families more options uh, and probably more options close to where their family is or where they are used to living so that they don't have to maybe move as far away. Um, so that's a, always a really great option. Okay. Um, and then I know that we haven't really talked about nursing home level of care. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, again, people are familiar with the term nursing home. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we also refer to it as skilled nursing facilities. And a lot of those types of, of care uh, communities, they also offer that short-term rehab that you mentioned. So if your loved one has you know, a hip replacement or surgery or they're hospitalized, they may go to one of those types of communities for a short period of time before transitioning home. Uh, but then there are some individuals that maybe um, their care gets to a point where they really do need around-the-clock nursing, mm-hmm. um, and that's when they might make more of a permanent move to a nursing home. And so um, I think, Nicole, um, I'm not sure how much experience you have with nursing homes, but yeah. again, there's a lot of variety uh, in the types of nursing homes, and and mm-hmm. I know in a lot of kind of more rural communities, mm-hmm. there might be more nursing homes than there are like an assisted living. And so uh, yeah. again, it's important for families to really understand what's available in their communities when it comes to nursing uh, and skilled levels of care. Right. Well, the community where I worked, we had independent living, assisted living, memory care, nursing home, skilled nursing, and a rehab unit. So the good news is, is I've (laughs) had a lot of experience (laughs) in all those environments. And you're correct. It is the distinction of the 24-hour, seven days a week, skilled nursing care. So registered nurses on site that are always on hand providing oversight. There are more extensive, if your loved one has um, a really complex medical condition or the need for um, 
transferring or moving a mobility that requires um, assistance, whether it's, I'm going to use a technical term, <laughs> like a hoyer lift or two people or having it be um, incredibly important that there are these safeguards in place so your loved one can live safely. So, um, and with that, complexity comes then you need more assistance and oversight with bathing and dressing um, and eating so dietitians are on staff typically speech therapy will evaluate so uh, the nutrition and the meals are more catered towards those complex needs uh, there is also oversight from uh, a government level, ensuring that there are certain protocols. So each resident has a care plan, right? So we've got these goals and objectives that we want to have um, our our community live in a way that is supported of these rules and regulations. And so when we have these goals and objectives, we're also saying that here's what we're going to do to support those goals and objectives, and here's how we're going to do it. And then we're held accountable to that, and that can change. So that's another um, differentiating factor is that there is more regulation and oversight from that perspective, and that's due to the funding. Typically, uh, Medicare is involved, Medicaid. Um, obviously, for those that might not qualify for that, there is private pay. It is uh, definitely more of a clinical setting. And while aesthetically some nursing homes look um, maybe more modern nowadays, there's more of a medical focus on, on the care. That's super helpful to have those insights, Nicole. And, um, and you know, again, we could talk on a whole other podcast about <laughs> like the payment and, and yes. the regulation. And, and it, these various levels of care, they are regulated a little bit differently, um, whether it's at the federal level or the state level um, or the community level. And so um, there are certain things that, um, you know, families might be like, why are you doing it that way? And it could be because of, of those types of regulations. So right. that's helpful insight to have. Um, and and not everyone will need that nursing home level of care, um, but it is helpful, I think, for families to understand how that level of care differs, especially from assisted living. Right. Um, so thank you for helping to kind of differentiate those two levels of care. And then one final kind of piece to this care continuum that we haven't touched on yet is end-of-life care and hospice care. Mm -hmm. And so many people have misconceptions about hospice, whether they think hospice is a place, um, which actually it can be provided anywhere. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a service. There are some designated uh, living communities that only do hospice care, but they can also provide it in your home or in one of the senior living communities that we just talked about. Um, or they might think, um, you know, if I have hospice, it's, um, you know, it means that they're going to cease all treatment of my loved one and the end is near. And, and while, you know, hospice is set up for those last six months of life, it's such a beautiful service because it's so holistic and they really address the person's, you know, physical health, of course, but also their emotional, mental, spiritual health, and they support the family. And there are so many family caregivers that I talk to that say, 
I wish we would have called hospice sooner Mm -hmm. because I don't have the, the exact statistic in front of me, but the statistics around when people start hospice care, they wait too long. And so they're really only on hospice for a couple of days or even weeks before their loved one passes away when they could have been benefiting from the services and supports for all the way up to those six months leading up to their loved one passing. So Nicole, I could talk about hospice and how much I love it for like hours, uh, but would love to hear your perspectives too, because you have probably seen so many of your residents um, have hospice services when you worked uh, in the community that you worked in. Yes. Oh my gosh. You just stated so many of the reasons why I do love and value hospice so much. And I think people have fear when they hear the word that death is imminent, but it's such a wonderful support system. And it's like you said, it, I believe hospice is more of like a methodology or philosophy at the mm-hmm. way of looking at end of life. So it's like you just mentioned, it's incredibly holistic. So it's not only providing that like physical support, you know, addressing pain, but it's also the emotional and spiritual component. So there are so many services within that, right? We've got volunteers, pet therapy, music therapy, massage therapists to provide this like comfort for not only our person that is in hospice, but the family they can support in grief, right? Um, mm-hmm. They're equipped to do that. They're really trained in that. And I think families don't always realize that you might be able to be on hospice, right? And a lot of times I've seen uh, my residents that are set up on hospice and they're supported and their health improves and it changes. Yes. And they're able to then get off of hospice and then maybe go back on hospice. And that's an option. And I don't think families understand that, Mm -hmm. you know, we can evolve with the health. And so if we're seeing this improvement, um, we can support that, right? So knowing just how supportive, I think when those support systems come in place, a lot of times we see people do better yeah. <laughs> um, within that. So yeah, I know I'm such a supporter. I think it's a wonderful option for families to look into. Absolutely. Yes. And and another thing that I don't think families also realize is the support that exists after their loved one passes through mm-hmm. hospice. They can continue to receive some of that bereavement support. And mm-hmm. um, we know that, um, you know, death is not something we like to talk about as a society, but it's the great equalizer. We're all yeah. going to pass on from this world. Um, in hospice is, again, just such a beautiful service mm-hmm. um, that um, can just walk alongside older adults or individuals uh, in their families um, as they go through that time, which can be really, really hard. So um, that kind of takes us on that big, long Mm -hmm. care continuum journey. Um, Thank you so much. Thank you everyone for listening. (laughs) Yes. Yes. I know. So much to cover. (laughs) It is so much to cover. Uh, And we have just a little bit more that I want to dive into, Mm -hmm. uh, but we're first going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Home Instead, an honor company. If you find yourself needing extra support as a family caregiver or time away from your caregiving responsibilities, Home Instead can help. Our home care services are delivered by compassionate care professionals and range from personal care, meal preparation, and medication management to Alzheimer's care and hospice support. Visit homeinstead.com to learn more and to find a location near you. 
Okay, Nicole, so we just talked about, you know, the care continuum and all the options that exist. And so it can be kind of overwhelming for families and also family caregivers, you know, in an effort to want to plan, they might want to try to, um, I don't want to say take over, uh, but we also need to consider this balance of the autonomy of your older adult loved one and their independence. And there's that kind of um, kind of seesaw that we have to play around with of, okay, we want them to be safe. Uh, we want to make the best care decision, but we also want to honor their wishes. Uh, mm-hmm. We want them to be safe. We want to have peace of mind. Um, and so that can be kind of hard for families to navigate as they kind of go through the planning process. So any thoughts or um, advice for families as they kind of navigate that tricky part of this yeah. whole planning process. Yes, and you're right. Some do just want to take over, right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's more comfortable that way. Uh, but always lead with compassion. I think having an awareness of just understanding how hard this is for our loved one, right? It is yeah. easy to be you know, frustrated that things need to happen and we want them to be safe, but that really only causes conflict. And it goes back to that planning ahead so that these conversations aren't happening when emotions are really heightened and Mm -hmm. in crisis and we'll have an idea and know our loved one's wishes so that we can support them in their independence or really learn what is most important to my loved one that we can maintain, right? And set and negotiate uh, based on that, right? What's the priority? Where can we have some negotiations? Sometimes bringing in a third party that can mm-hmm. maybe evaluate the space and it's someone independent, like an occupational therapist saying, actually, this isn't that safe. Let's put these support systems. They might be able to receive that better from someone outside of the family and trust your gut on that. You know your family dynamics. Is my loved one going to be okay <laughs> if I share something like this or not so much? And give your loved one as much agency and choice as possible. They are adults. Mm-hmm that have lived full and most likely successful lives. They are not children. Involve them <clears throat> involve them in the decision-making process as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I recently interviewed a guest that talked about how winning versus losing or losing to win. And sometimes we want our way, we think that this is safe, you know, but at the end of the day, maybe our loved one really wanting to do something that is essentially safe, we're just maybe not comfortable with is maybe the way to go because it supports their quality of life. And obviously, Mm -hmm. there are many caveats to that. But holding space and listening to your loved one that has concerns, or they just want to vent that they're frustrated, right? I mean, if I had to move and lose my independence and not drive anymore and not see my friends, I would be really upset about that. And I think at times we expect for everyone to just be okay, put on a happy face. And that's not always the case. So know that it's going to be hard and that two things can be true at the same time. You can uh, have it be really hard and be sad about that but also know that you're making a good sound decision. It's bittersweet, you know? So ask how you can also support them during that time. Gosh, you brought up so, so many great points in, in that Nicole and, and yeah, these things are hard. It's not, it's not easy to give up independence or to think about moves or 
to accept care. Um, those can be really hard things, and especially if somebody's been fiercely independent mm-hmm. for most of their life. And so I think that that's a really great perspective to keep as a family member. Um, but I also like how you said the word negotiation. You know, you know, it's important to you know listen to their wishes and what's really important to them, but then also kind of balance that with okay, what are, but what are the realities of the okay. situation? How can we best honor your wishes, but also honor the realities? And so some. Sometimes, you know, you might have to negotiate, you know, a 30-day trial of home care and say, could you try it for 30 days? And if you you absolutely hate it, then we'll reevaluate those types of things. Because uh, sometimes if you if you give people that kind of not out, but let them know, okay, this doesn't have to be necessarily a permanent decision. We can try it out. And if it's not working, we can reevaluate. Sometimes that might make them a little more willing to give it a try. And so um, there is just so much that goes into this whole planning conversation. Um, And I love that you said, you know, keep the communication open and maybe involve that third party, because sometimes you're right, people listen better to people outside of the family, especially if you have some interesting family dynamics. Uh, I'm covering that topic in some upcoming episodes of this podcast, because Wow, there's a lot of family dynamics. And Nicole, you and I could probably talk about some stories of (laughs) some crazy family dynamics we've seen. But but that's what makes family, I think, um, so wonderful. We're all so different. Yeah, we all come from different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, our relationships with our loved ones are all unique, um, and all older adults are unique in yeah. and of themselves. And so, um, we need to consider those unique elements of who they are as we help them plan ahead for all of their care needs. So, um, gosh, this has been such a great conversation. And Nicole, I know you have kind of hinted at your podcast a few times. You've had so many wonderful guests. You've had me on there once, which I'm so grateful uh, to have been able to share on your podcast. But I'd love for you to tell our listeners more about your podcast and how they can connect with you. Yes. You know, our podcast really wanted to elevate incredible people that are doing really good work and all of those initiatives and support and resources for people uh, that are navigating this world, right, with their aging loved one in the care economy. And so we feature experts, CEOs, people like you, which is wonderful, um, authors, educators, thought leaders that are doing incredible work for older adults, family caregivers, and the healthcare community. So each expert, we have interviews, real life stories, practical advice, and tools and encouragement for family caregivers so that they can uh, be able to feel like this is a meaningful time, right? We're empowered when we have information and we want to feel like we have this collective force um, that is surrounding us. So that is our podcast and we hope that you'll listen. We're we're making an impact. Um, The podcast was in the top 15% shared globally via Spotify. We've made the Apple charts in different countries, and I'm I'm humbled and grateful for the opportunity to um, celebrate what everyone else is doing. It's like the best part of my job. (laughs) 
Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing about that. And you do have such a wonderful podcast. I love all the different guests that you have on you. You've been an inspiration for me as I've created this podcast. And I just want to thank you for your support um, and for being here today. And and we'll link to your website, the We'll uh, We'll Gather website and podcast in our show notes so that people can easily find you and follow along. Um, But again, I just want to thank you so much, Nicole, for joining me today. You have just been a wealth of knowledge as we've talked about this broader care continuum and about care planning. Um, And I think uh, it's important for people to just start somewhere. Mm -hmm. I think that might be our last takeaway message. Any any last thoughts from you, Nicole, when it comes to care planning? Oh, yes. We are empowered with information. So listen to podcasts like Lakeland's or mine, ask questions and have compassion for yourself. Know you're not alone. And when we've never gone through something before, we're not experts when we start any new endeavor. (laughs) So uh, this is the first time for a lot of us that are caregiving. So give yourself grace in that and know that there are support systems out there that can help guide you in all of it. So, yeah. Wonderful words of advice to end on. Thank you so much again, Nicole. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed this hour and look forward to doing it again. I want to thank Nicole for taking the time to talk with me about the options for care and the important considerations that go along with it. These decisions can be challenging, and it may take several attempts to discuss with your loved ones. However, the more you can plan ahead, the better. We provided a lot of helpful links in the show notes that include free downloads that can help you navigate these important care decisions. On our next episode of Caregiver Chats, I'm going to be talking more about challenging family dynamics and how to navigate them. You know, all families can feel the pressure of caring for an aging loved one, but there are things that we can do to keep open lines of communication and address challenges that arise between family members. So I hope that you'll tune in. I also invite you to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Homeinstead Inc. That's Homeinstead Inc. Uh, There we share previews of upcoming episodes, caregiving tips, and more. And you can find all the links in the show notes. Thank you again so much for listening. Please remember to take good care of yourself while you're caring for others. Caregiver Chats is brought to you by Homeinstead. If you're looking for in-home care to support you in your caregiving journey, please visit homeinstead.com slash caregiverchats to learn more.